Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. conversation about movies you may have missed in theaters that are now available to watch at home on streaming services. Every month we dig into the archives and watch a film that was one of the trailer picks on a Saturday matinee episode. You can get access to the Sat Matt shows by supporting us over at patreon.com slash the next reel. And you can also be part of our group on Discord where there's always an engaging conversation about films. And right around this time of year, there's lots of speculation about, you know, awards, Oscar picks, all of those things with that just coming up right around the corner. But today we are talking about The Bachelors. Sure. This was Pete's pick from yeah. September 30th, 2017. Today is February 6, 2019, and The Bachelors is available on Netflix. That was the only place I found this one. Um, and, you know, looking into what happened to this after we talked about it in September uh, 2017, there was no theatrical release in the United States 
for The Bachelors. Yes, this seemed like this is that art house indie type of film. Uh, it had a small theatrical release in Portugal, South Korea, and the United Kingdom. That's weird. Yes, and it made just over $100,000 worldwide. So not a lot of screens out okay. there. Uh, and then shortly after we talked about it as a trailer pick, that seems it odd. was available for, for digital purchase on iTunes on October 20th, 2017, okay. Okay. and then showed up on Netflix a few months later on February of 2018. So it's been out there on Netflix for nearly a year. So it just went straight to streaming for this one. So there was no opportunity for people to see this in the United States uh, in theaters, which I found odd given the cast. We've got familiar faces. You've got J.K. Simmons. You've got uh, Julie Delpy for those, you know, fans of the small little art house films. Uh, you know, he sure. said he found himself moved by this trailer and he just loves, no. he loves, loves, loves J.K. Simmons' beard. So he's got a little, a little thing for the bearded man. Uh, I love J.K. Simmons. Yes. That regard beard, beard or no. Yes. Um, yeah. So uh, I, I would see it just because of him. Right. And he said the trailer he thought showed these heartfelt characters that he wanted to spend more time with. And he said the trailer gave him all of the feels. Um, and... I said this one I thought was going to be rated K for Kleenex, and we can talk about whether that <laughs> uh, that premonition was fulfilled. And sure. Andy summed it up by saying he thought this might be like the male version of Lady Bird because we've got a father and son uh, dynamic going oh, with this okay. one. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. So, and coming off of our A twenty four film last yeah, month, right, with Lean on Pete. So that's interesting. I hadn't considered it that way. Yeah, so not an A twenty four film, uh, but, right? But had Different. but had that feel. Um, sure. Do you feel that this really missed? Should this have had a theatrical release? Was there an audience out there for this type of film? Is this something that's worth getting you know people to see on Netflix? Well, I mean, yes, probably. I, to answer your, I'm going to answer your last question first. I think yes, probably it has a, a an audience on Netflix. I don't. I think the the movie there's a lot of interesting things that happen in it and there's uh there's some really innovative filming and some innovative ideas. I think in general some of the difficulty is that it's really overwritten in some places and it's really underwritten in other places. And it for a story I definitely sense what was being tried or or trying to be conveyed. I really sense what the 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 message is in the in the movie. Unfortunately, the way that it goes about getting there is really sort of clunky and actually kind of um unbelievable in a lot of places. Um and I and I really had a lot of problems with the story because of that. And some of the performances were a little rough or really sort of underperformed as well. And that was tough for me, too. So um, while the idea is great and there's some really innovative things in it, I think if you're looking for it to get a theatrical release, I don't think it's strong enough to get that, unfortunately, even on the heels of such a wonderful cast like this. So um, I admire this movie, but I don't think it's I don't think it's particularly good, unfortunately. So it didn't move you. You didn't have, a, you know, the, the heartfelt characters that you wanted to spend more time with, as, as Pete described it. Well, it's tough because the character, the, the actors are also lovable and the characters are not are not poorly drawn. By any by any means, it just feels you. I really felt the hands of the puppeteer. I really felt the writing um, coming through. And a lot of times, many of the actors, and not some of the bigger names in this, but some of the other actors, you really could kind of feel them acting to the to the script um, and and delivering lines that were kind of written for them as opposed to embodying them. And that was really tough for me to get out of it. So when there were some moments that I was supposed to be emotional, I found myself being cynical. And that was really unfortunate. I don't want to be. I want to be able to embrace the heartfelt stuff in this movie. But a lot of times it just felt either over the top or more for the for the purpose of delivering the story to us. So, yeah, because we've got, you know, familiar faces. We said J.K. Simmons and Julie Delpy in this. And so in terms of their relationship that develops, because we've got, I guess we set this up a little bit. We've got a situation where We've got a father and son that just, you know, at the beginning of the film, you know, dad says, I 
got to get out of here. We're we're moving. And they just move out of their house. We find out that, you know, mom has passed away. And so this is a, a fresh start. Uh, so we've, we've got, you know, sort of in a period of mourning, you know, we need, we need to get away, fresh start. So uh, J.K. Simmons, Simmons' character, Bill, is a math teacher, and he's got a friend from college that has set him up with a job at this this private school. So in the... the in La, in, oh, in, in Southern California, in Southern California Los Angeles. Yes, area. and his friend yeah. is uh, Mr. Abernack, played by Kevin Dunn, one of those those guys, you know, you've, you've familiar <laughs> face. You're like, yes. A great character actor. Yes, yes, exactly. And then Julie Delpy is the French teacher. So we get a little romance that occurs between uh, Bill and Corinne. Now, did you buy that? Was, did you have issues with that relationship? Their their performances there was was that uh, because it's sort of the core to Bill's arc, you know, with his getting over that. Yeah, I mean, I think they have chemistry. I don't doubt their chemistry, but unfortunately, I I think it's just really written. It's very it, it it's very telegraphed the entire thing. Uh, it's very. It's very quaint. It's very trite. It's very it's it's exactly what you would expect from the story. There's no there's nothing strange about it. And there's nothing really profound about the way that it comes to it. The profound pieces of this film were meant to be the emotions. And those I felt were pretty overwritten. OK, um, so it, it's not that I didn't buy that it could happen. It's that I didn't buy that it was happening in anything other than a Hollywood or a, a movie. It's this was a movie. They, this is something that you watched on screen in that, you know, the math teacher goes and gets the job with the principal who happens to be the ex ex-boyfriend of the mom who's dead right and he falls in love with the french teacher i mean it's just there wasn't any room for anything other than what the story was um so you felt the so architecture that, of the film a lot of this scene is happening totally. because we've got so yeah early on we have a scene of bill teaching class and one of the students asks him about his belt and we briefly see that bill's belt is shifted over to the right side and he pulls his jacket over it and comments oh it's just a a thing i do and i thought well okay, we're going to have to find out about this belt thing because we're now given, like, here's one of these character quirks that we're going to learn more about later on. And so I kept waiting for that scene where we're going to get the explanation about what's going on with Bill's belt. And it's one of those things I feel is sort of common in the independent film. We've got to do, got to have something about this character. How can I communicate this? Oh, I, I'm going to have something quirky about this person. So then, then he can tell a story and there's a reason for this exposition, you know, this information dump to happen. And we get that in a conversation with his therapist, the story about the belt. Tell me about the belt. That's a genie thing. She uh, she used to tease me because my belt would kind of drift over that way as the day went on. Said I should just start out the day with it where it was going to end up. So one day I just started out with it there and made her laugh. She said it was only fitting because I was a little off-center to begin with. <laughs> she had a good sense of humor. Yeah. Okay. So I find that grieving spouses usually fall into one of two groups. One describes their loved one as someone who filled a void in them. The other describes them as someone who added a dimension to the person they already were. Which would you say best describes you? It's both. Which would you say you favor? All of the above. Okay. Fair enough. I'm just looking for something to help us move on. From what? From your wife, Bill. The only way you're going to feel better is if we figure out some way for you to let her go. You recognize that, don't you? Yes. So, JJ, how did you feel about this scene with the therapist is the payoff for that setup earlier about the belt and revealing a little bit more about Bill. Well, I think it's fine, but I think you make a good point in that, you know, when they bring it up, everything that's brought up in this film has to have a, an information dump or a, a, some larger exposition later. And it's not done poorly. It's just done very sort of textbook or very, you know, you mentioned the architecture of the film. I think that's a good way to look at it. You can see the rafters of what's going on in this movie throughout. And there, 
there are some artful things that are nice here, but it's still it's still the rafters are still visible. And that's the thing that bothered me about things like this. I think it's great and I think it's cute and potentially a little too cute. It feels like if you look at Kurt Volker, that's the writer director of this film, and you look at his IMDb credits, it feels like an early film for him. It feels like he's experimenting with how to bring his ideas to to the screen. And this is, you know, maybe his second his second real sort of feature direction piece. And I think you get that. You get that sense of that. It's not bad, but there's still so much that needs to be done to to kind of weave it together into a an an, an actual piece of art. Yeah, I I felt the same thing. These were, I don't want to say cliches, but I, I'm getting all of the things that I expect in a, you know, sort of small independent film. And it, it felt like right. I haven't seen a film like this in a while. So I felt like this is something I would expect out of like the, the mid to late 90s. We've got, you know, oh, the new kid at school. So we've got all of those things. And this one. I felt started to push a little bit more toward the traditional like teen rom-com with, oh, we've got the the jock bully. We've got our new kid who falls in with the, Mason. Yes. We, Mason's the jock bully. Yes. Yeah, so we get, you know, our new kid sort of falls in with sort of the, the geeky outcasts uh, who are, you know, lamenting that they're not part of the in crowd. But if being part of the in crowd is like being like Mason, they don't want to do that. Uh, it, just sort of right. struggling with the, you know, the in crowd you know, being the in-group or the out-group. And then, of course, uh, Wes gets the opportunity to bridge that gap because he gets assigned to be a homework partner for, you know, the the girl, you know, the, the his, his, you know, as the girls, you know, pull up to because they were at an all-boys, you know, private school, but apparently the girls have to come over to take a class from their school, French class. So we've got this whole scene of like, oh, walking in slow motion and the wind blowing in her hair, but she's she's <laughs> she's cold and not, you know, she's not friendly like all the other girls the that say hi to all the guys. Lacey. Yes. So so of course, you know, we see now they're gonna be set up as homework buddies. So he's gonna crack through that tough exterior and, you know, we've got that set up. For me, what I felt was unique about it was to give Lacey, well, I guess I shouldn't have expected her to come from a happy family because she's, you know, sort of got this cold exterior. But to me, what I wasn't expecting was the whole issue of cutting that was part of her way of dealing with or responding to her parents' divorce. And it was more graphic than I expected it to be because we actually haven't seen a scene her cut her arm. And there were several times when they're studying you know, it's bleeding through on her blouse. And I don't know if it's because of like the Netflix series, uh, what, 13 reasons why or oh, you, sure. of, you know, dealing with those things. But I didn't expect a film like this to tackle that directly like that. Well, and so that's, I guess that's when I get into the, my, my argument about how the film is underwritten a little bit okay. and that in the way it de deals with mental illness altogether. Uh, I think, the film that I know that I think of the most when I think of cutting scenes is Secretary, where Maggie Gyllenhaal cuts before she meets, um, before she meets the uh, James Spader, and um, and then eventually she learns of a, a different way to cope, um, and it's really graphic in that mm -hmm. nature too. But I think you're right in that um, that it doesn't. It seems it seems too much. It seems too intense when I think about the therapy journey that. Bill goes on and that he's with a psychiatrist and they're prescribing different meds for him. And eventually he has a bit of a breakdown and they give him electroshock therapy. Yes. It's just, it seems all very intense, which is not a problem in film. However, their situations don't, the, the character situations are not written in such a way that would lead you to believe that they are so intensely afflicted by these maladies. In other words, Bill's coping mechanisms before he gets to the prescriptions and eventually this breakdown in electroshock therapy, his coping mechanisms are pretty good. He's he moved away. He started riding a bike. He's gardening. He's doing all these things. And yet there the story tends to point a finger at Bill and says, you are severely depressed. The same could be said about this Lacey character in that she is holding up. She is isolating. She's doing poorly in school. But then it gives her this extreme sort of outcome, too. And that's where I feel like it's underwritten in that we don't see these characters 
in the way that they're supposed to be so darkly written, but we see what they have to do to deal with that. And I think especially, you know, thinking about mental illness and thinking about other examples of mental illness, other examples of grief movies that we've seen, I think about Demolition is one that we watched in the film board as well, that I think is a really good, intense way of looking at grief. Um, This one seems to talk about grief as a heading and then list a bunch of things that are going to happen to people who are intense grief. It never really conveys it through what the characters are doing. And that's why I have a lot of problems with the things that they're doing to cope with the with the grief and ultimately the prescriptions that they're given to take care of it, too, because it just seems so massively like using a sledgehammer to put in a thumbtack. And that and that's where I feel like the story is underwritten to describe the real sort of terrible things that these characters are going through. Well, I, I agree with you because it you've got this serious, heavier, dark side, but then you've got the it's trying to balance that with some of some lighter moments. And when you have a scene after Bill has his breakdown, when his therapist is talking with, uh, you know, Mr. Abernack and, and saying, you know, he's had a, you know, what would have been called a nervous breakdown and his depression is manifesting itself physically. And we, we got what sort of was like a synopsis out of a textbook. It, it, it just felt very still, like very stilted dialogue. Didn't feel like this right. is the way someone would really talk a therapist. Now, perhaps trying to explain in layman's terms something complex, but it just, it felt very odd the way that uh, Harold Perrineau, as as Dr. Rollins, you know, is describing this. Is this the right time? Is this the right person to be sharing this with, to give this very sort of, you know, technical, you know, description of what's going on with Bill. And I felt this is, again, we're we're trying to get exposition across. Oh, yeah, you're talking about the hospital. Yes, at the hospital. Yeah, that was just... Yes. Totally inappropriate. <laughs> Do not have that conversation with his boss. Right. Yes. And exactly. It's just oh, it was yeah. really sort of creepy. Although the boss is the person that referred him, and it's just yes. All these characters are written in too. It's too perfect. It's too yes. much written for the script, and it's just not something the way that it should go in real life. It's totally inappropriate for an actual situation, especially dealing with mental illness and nervous breakdown. Well, and I guess that goes back to why I, I said this felt like something from the 90s, what, you know, is independent films were, you know, gaining, you know, more attention. A lot of them, I just felt like, yes, there peop, there's a writer or director trying to tell the story about something that's deeply personal to them and they can't get that distance from it, but they know what the structure of a film should be. And so you can feel the pieces being pushed around. And, and you know, as I said, there's all these typical moments. I felt the cast you know, could rise, you know, maybe lift this material up. But coming back to the lightness, we get, again, the other quirky moment that stuck out to me was the the car seat. Um, right. Because he's got yes. this, you know, classic Mustang and, you know, early on Bill gives it to us, you know, and says, you know, hey, here you have the car. I'm going to ride a bike. And, you know, we see Wes driving the car. Lacey, you know, as a gift, gets a seat because there is no front passenger seat to this car. And apparently, through Craigslist or however she got it, she didn't get the right seat. She got another driver's seat. And so it can't go in the way it's supposed to. It has to be facing backwards, which two things went off my head. And I thought, well, I don't know if that's actually true. Secondly, that doesn't seem like safe. It felt like a thing to do to be unique and quirky. And actually, I was watching this with my daughter, Emma, and uh, my wife came in near the end and said, what's with the seat? And we said, oh, well, there's this thing. And she said, well, why were, wait, didn't they drive across country? Wasn't, wasn't there a front seat? What happened to the front seat? And then we, there was a flashback to, uh, you know, Bill having a flashback of, of driving with his wife and she's there with her sunglasses and her scarf. And she's like, well, wait, in that yeah. flashback, she's in the front seat. She so, is. So, I didn't even think about so that. What, yeah. happened what happened to the front to seat? It? She's like, there's, did they not explain? Like, was there not even anything to explain why there is no front seat? And I thought, oh, there's no front seat because the story needs there to be no front seat. So we can put in a backward seat to have scenes where, you know, we've got this fun moment of their as they're driving around with one of and them. It's not even that. I mean, it's not really in service to the story. No, it's just it's like you said, quirky. it's quirky. 
Right. And it makes for a good movie poster. <laughs> uh, or or at least a disarming movie yes. poster that you want to w- look at. But so, it, it yeah. did create, and I was, because you are one that is always looking at, you know, camera and how, you know, scenes are sure. structured. There's a scene where uh, Wes and Lacey are, are out. Uh, it's after uh, Bill's birthday party and, you know, sort of they, they go out, you know, to have their you know private moment in the car and they're just hanging out and talking but because she's in the front seat facing backwards to shoot that scene you can't shoot as a typical conversation where you're cutting just back and forth we're having to go to get the coverage from the front of the car to the back of the car and it kept switching and as light as they're having conversations we're just cutting back and forth and to me it was very it just drew a lot of attention to it. it wasn't like i was there it was clear that I guess it's that 180 rule because you're you're flipping back and forth and it is your short lines and cutting. It just it started to bother me visually that I thought you couldn't think of a different way to shoot this scene. You couldn't have them get out of the car. There were there were so many other ways to maybe troubleshoot this, but they wrote themselves into a situation where if they're in the car because of that seat situation, we're really limited in how we can shoot this, which I thought there's a problem that should have been dealt with when writing that scene to think about this is not going to work visually. Yeah. And I think you you bring up a good way to think about this, that a lot of the scenes, a lot of the specificity of this film feels like it writes itself into a corner. Um, and that it just didn't work in some of those things. Now, that being said, there are a lot of beautiful shots in this film. Yes. You know, we talk about the sort of beauty of a 24 films and stuff like this. It's, it's not the same. It's definitely not, naturally lit throughout it it, it it it's cutting a lot of a, a lot of things in a very hollywood style it's non sort of uh, small and independent that way but there are some really beautiful uh, motion control move camera movement shots my favorite shot of the movie was one early on when bill is is definitely still grieving they're they're in the la house and the shot starts wide looking at him from the side as he's looking at a painting of Jeannie, his wife's yes. painting. And then the shot kind of pulls in closer to him and then goes over his head to use this huge painting and have it fill up the screen. There's a lot of really neat camera moves and camera shots like that throughout this movie. But it's, again, it's just, they're not really in service to the story. It's just that other extra piece of art. It looks like this is the kind of stuff that's going to be great for this filmmaker later in his career. Right now, this story was too structured. It was too, it had too much architecture for it to get out of its own way uh, in the script. You know, as we talk about structure with a film like this, that's really character driven. I found myself not, not quite looking at my watch, but at maybe about an hour in thinking, where where are we going how are we resolving these issues because we've we've developed the relationships between between characters so we've got Wes and Lacey have their connection with Mason causing you know conflict we have you know Bill and Corinne and their relationship and we get to a certain point where I thought we've got to have something break down here something's got to happen to give us our you know sort of darkness before the light at the end and it, i think it was at this point my wife walked in when uh bill uh has a conversation with corinne and he basically says he doesn't want to see her anymore she's like oh well, okay. she's like that point yeah why is he being such a jerk what is with this <laughs> she's like that seemed really rude like and i thought about that i thought yeah there it didn't do a good enough job of setting up what was going on with him internally uh, right. to, to make that decision it never with Wes and Lacey. It, it, there was it assumed we knew. Yes. And that's where it's underwritten. Yes. Because he has this breakdown after he breaks up with Kareen. Yes. And it's like, yeah, it just unfortunately it doesn't it doesn't work. Right. So, yeah, he has the breakdown uh, right after that. So clearly that's meant to be the trigger point for his breakdown, which is going to take us into a really interesting part. We talked about this electroshock therapy and as he was having that, is that real? Does that the, still the, happen? The, it's, well, it's a it's electro. What do they call it? Electroconvulsive therapy. So it's ECT. ECT. Yeah. Um, yes, that's and they still, try to explain it away. The therapist says it's much safer now. We do it, but I just don't. I mean, I, I'm maybe I'm ignorant, but I just don't think that 
Is that a thing that, still? It is still a thing. It is still wow. a thing. I was surprised. For depression, though? Yeah. I Well, that I don't know. I know it's still still around, but I was surprised that they, I thought, oh, this is the doctor pushing Bill into a corner, basically saying, you've got to, you've got to start taking control of your life. You've got to start, you know, helping yourself. And I thought this is going to be the, oh, I don't want to do that. This is how bad my yeah. situation is. Right. It's going to motivate him to to do something. And then, oh no, we go through with it. And I thought, Really? We're going to we're yeah. going to sit here and watch him have his wow because I'm thinking the same thing. This is like bar- barbaric treatment and as they show it it's not full body convulsions. It's, you know, just apparently more pre- more precision in placement of of every, you know, electrodes on the head of what which areas they're sending the current through. Right. Uh, and so you can see well, his I want to read I want to read from WebMD here which is, you <laughs> okay. know, I don't know how we feel about it, but it says when medication fails to ease the symptoms of clinical depression, there are other options to try brain stimulation techniques such as electroconvulsive therapy, ECT, for example, can be used to treat major depression that hasn't responded to standard treatment. I get it. I didn't know it was still a thing. I that's surprised to me, but he doesn't have like I don't see evidence of major depression in the character the way it's written. That's the my problem with the way they describe mental illness here. Yes. And it leads us to literally Bill kind of becoming a zombie. I mean, it and it really, I mean, it's hard to watch when you don't see how bad he has it for them to explain away a what they say is a nervous breakdown, which is saying that his grief has become so strong that now it's physical. And then saying that the next step is ECT. It just, ew, it feels like a big leap. It it does because we're still, if we think about timeline, we're still within, you know, the school year. I don't know. We didn't get a strong setup at the beginning of, I guess they came out at the beginning of the school year. Um, you know, it's hard to see time pass when you're in like Southern California because we don't really have the seasons of everything. So it's hard to get a sense of how much time has passed we know that we've seen Bill. There have been three different medications, um, so I'm assuming it's not. You know, we're going to give this one two weeks, and then we're going to switch. And the you. film uses their <laughs> brand names too, which yeah. I think is interesting. And that was I. I noted that as well. I thought, wow, you're you're not just saying I'm going to prescribe something. They're naming three different three different ones. That uh, yeah, I I thought that was unusual, and I thought, how long you know to give a a specific medication, a cycle to see if it's, you know, if it's being effective. Uh, I understand if something's not working, changing it. But yeah, I was trying to get a sense of time. And is this a realistic time frame to, to see whether something works? But again, I, I agree with you. I didn't get a sense that Bill's depression was the point where it was so severe that we were going to have to get to, to ECT. I, a nervous breakdown, yes, is right. an important point. But it wasn't, I didn't see this, you know, the, he is really having trouble functioning at, you know, and being in the world because his depression uh, is so severe that he is really having trouble functioning. And I felt like right. it, they, we, they tried to get to some things. Uh, I, again, in those conversations with the therapist, you could see that, you know, Bill is still struggling to be objective about things because the therapist asks him, you know, oh, you know, sometimes we see, you know, people as someone that, you know, fills a hole within us or, you know, he gives them, you know, a situation. Which one of these do you feel applies to, to you? And Bill is just basically, you know, well, all of them. I, you know, I'm in, in this grief and I can't, you know, define this. And I thought that's okay, but there are so many more ways we could be showing this with Bill. And I guess we don't have a lot of time because we also have to deal with what's going on with Wes and Lacey. And then, of course, Wes being on the track team. And we have, you know, that perspective of what's going on with Wes um, as we see that it's connected to the being on the track team of, you know, the conversation with the coach, you know, after a track meet and, and Wes hasn't done so well. And he basically tells him, look, you know, this is what I know about running track. You know, it's, it's pain and you have to just push through it. You have to accept it and move through it. And I thought, ah, oh, okay, here's, here's, you know, 
Let's just wave the big flag saying, okay, Wes, this is how you're going to... Here's our metaphor. Here's our metaphor for your grief. You have to just push through that. So we have all that going on, which doesn't give us a lot of time to really spend time with Bill and his grief. And I think the amount of time or attention, you know, it deserves to be treated, you know, seriously uh, or, or well handled in the film. Right. Um, right. So what deserved more care? Yes. Yes, I agree. So when, when Bill returns home after a cycle of the ECT, as you say, he is really sort of like a zombie there. You know, he and Wes are at the dinner table and Wes finally confronts him about the depression and basically calls him out on his unwillingness to live his life, basically saying, you know, you've, you've got to do something. I can't go on this way. So, um, Why don't you just get it over with then? Good. What? Dying. That's what you're really doing, right? I know you're depressed. And I know that I'm supposed to be supportive. I'm not asking you to do anything. Yes, you are. You're asking me to just accept it. Just sit back, just watch you die, just like mom. I know, I know this has been hard. Yeah, you think? When first my mom dies and then, then we just pack up and leave. Out of the blue, out of nowhere. With your mom and I were more- Everything. Okay, I know, I get it. But do you honestly think that this is what she would want? Mom is amazing. You think I don't miss her every single second of every single day? But here's the headline, Dad. She's gone. Forever. And she's never, ever coming back. Wes, I am so sorry. I don't want to sorry! want my dad back. I'm here. No, you're not. And you haven't been for a long time. If I'm going to have to spend the rest of my life alone, tell me now. Because if you're just going to give up and die, then maybe I should too. Wes, please don't say that. I'm serious! That's what this is all about, right? There's a point to all this, to living... I mean, whether it's worth it to even try. Well, make up your goddamn mind, Dad. If the answer is no, why don't you just fucking kill yourself and get it over with? So, J.J., this is one of those moments that in some movies can feel like it's a little too on the nose or overwritten so much that it stops feeling like natural dialogue. Was this one of those moments for you in this movie? Or did this feel like, no, there? this is actually a, a realistic conversation between a father and son that are confronting their, their mutual grief? Well, this is, wow. I, I, I want to say I had trouble getting to an analytical level about it because of in talking about the dialogue in particular because i was so taken with jk simmons being zombified as a result of the electroshock therapy and i actually think that uh the everything delivered by his son and i'm actually looking for uh for the actor's name that played um that's uh, that played wes here josh wiggins um, yeah josh wiggins yeah, yeah i i think he did a great job of emoting what he had to work with there. Um, I think I was fine with the emotion, but I was so taken. I was so confused at what was happening with them emotionally because it was so intense. And so I think that, um, I think that for that scene and it is terribly intense. And I think that considering what Wes has gone through, I think it's realistic to think that he would get to that point. I think it's horrifying to think of what, Bill is going through and having to handle that. 
being thrown at him uh, in that scene. And I think that was what I was most scared for was I was scared for Bill and Wes needed an outlet, but I was scared for Bill. So I was captivated emotionally, but it was almost that I was still so uh, I was still so I still felt so vulnerable about the treatments that were going on with Bill that I was I was scared for the dad, for J.K. Simmons' character. Um, and so I, I, I wasn't able to get analytical about the way it was written because, holy cow, he yeah. just got out of electroshock <laughs> therapy and now and now you're doing this to him. Like, what's going to happen next? That's kind of where I was with it. Okay. Yeah, because this, this was the big turn for me because it we got to a point where we're finally sort of head on de- there – you know, this is, you know, the, the pivot point for, for Wes. I think he's realized how, uh, you know, he's been handling things and that his, you know, again, you know, telling Bill, you, you have to, I can't sit here and watch you die. Um, you know, that, that I, then I'm done. Why, why do this? Cause I, at this point I thought this is what I was, this was the scene I was waiting for because I thought these characters are uh, if we're going to keep going, we're, we, something has to come to a head or we're just going to spin our wheels through the end. And as I said, there was so much lightness prior to this. Then we get into this real darkness with ECT. We get this scene, just the anger that Wes has. It, it, it put me in an emotional point so much so that as we get to sort of the final, you know, how they each sort of resolve their issues with Wes at that last track meet. And then as we see Bill sort of cleaning out the garage and montage, the montage, montage. I look over at Emma, she's in tears. That sets me off. Yes. Both of us are watching, you know, Bill take his wedding ring off and just, you know, all of that. And yes, the fact that the most powerful part was the montage, um, I think speaks volumes to, J.K. Simmons' ability to really, you know, his ability as an actor, take away the dialogue. How can he communicate emotionally what he's going through as he's letting go of all these pieces? It was not what I expected out of this movie. So we're, we're both crying. My wife, who had come in just towards, you know, just a few scenes prior to this, is looking at us like, are you guys crying? And I thought, yes, we are, because we've gone on this arc and maybe it's yeah. because of those people. I thought there's something it's not one of those scenes where it's some scenes, some movies you can get that easy tear jerking mo- moment by something really obvious to me. This was really about having spent time with Wes, having spent time with Bill um, going on this journey. And yeah, I did not expect to be in tears at the end. Emma just completely lost. I mean, I, it it was a little weepy. She's just full on right tears straight down her face. So for us, it was an emotional journey that I, I hadn't expected on this. So as I think back about this movie, I've got that, sitting there at the end but again as we've talked through everything i can point to all these things where this film shouldn't have gotten that reaction out of me or it it should have been a better film but the end for me somehow this payoff lifted this film above all those issues and i found myself at the end saying this film is better than i expected it to be but to me i guess it's a it's an emotional side and i think for Emma, you know, she's 17. She hasn't seen a lot of these types of movies. So I'm really sure. glad she enjoyed it. Um, yeah. Because she didn't go through, you know, the 90s watching all kinds of, you know, indie dramedies, you know, weep dramedies uh, yeah. you know, pulling at your heartstrings movie that's just made to make you cry. Um, so I'm glad I got to share that experience with her. This one is that. Yes. The, this one is just made to make you cry. Yes, exactly. And I, I think, you know, I think there are performances here. Again, it's it's so uneven. It's the challenge I have with this um, and, and cliches and things that. So for people that I guess for a younger audience, I think they may connect to this. They may come into this and enjoy it more because they don't have that back catalog of films to compare it to to say oh this film did this better or oh these are cliches we've seen this done better before this one is really struggling with this and if you can just 
you know, connect with these characters and go on that purely emotional side. Yes, I think this can be an enjoyable film. If you if you turn off the analytical, you know, film reviewer part of your brain, I think you can enjoy this film in a in a way that is uh, unique. But I think audiences out there, you know, for most, if you've seen a lot of films like this, yeah, you're probably going to not be that impressed with it. Well, I'm glad it connected with you guys, though. That's nice that it actually brought that back at the end. It it, it definitely did not do that for me. It, it felt like too quick a turn, especially since we were going through that, all that intensity and all that, you know, sort of dreariness. I, I It didn't pull it out for me, but I'm really glad it worked for you guys in that way. That's that's kind of special. Yeah, those little, little bonding moments. We'll always have our Sunday afternoon bachelor's weeping moment that we will always look back on <laughs> there you go fondly it's a memory maker yes it's the best thing. exactly so yeah i wasn't sure uh how this one was going to hit you because i know uh you know movies focusing on you know sort of tragedy and loss um can sometimes really resonate with you or at other times yeah. really fall fall short so yeah for this you, one was unfortunately yeah, on, yeah. The, on the on the short side okay so given that how did this one stack up for you on on Flickchart? Because I'm I'm curious. It comes to in see. really really low, okay. unfortunately. And I would have liked to give it given it credit for the innovative stuff that it was doing film wise, and 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 for again that concept that you definitely can sense from the filmmaker when it when it comes up there. But for me, it ends up kind of like in a mess of like old. 80s and 90s movies yeah. that we look back at now that aren't really as good as we might have thought back then. So it it comes in for me at 183 out of 193. So oh, wow. very close to the bottom. And uh, it's just below Splash for me and just above <laughs> A League of Their Own. Oh. So uh, and which is above Outbreak. So you get it's kind of like all the same scene down there is a bunch of movies that probably worked when we were the age that you're saying it will resonate with right now. Yeah. Right. That we were that age when we saw those movies. But now as we watch them back, we might not like them as much. So I think probably you are accurate in the way that you're thinking the people that will like it will be, um, because I probably would have needed to be that age with that much impressionist uh, ability to be able to like this movie, too. How did it work for you? As I said, it's it's a little bit higher because I I still have this heart issue with this movie that I always look at that and say, well... Now, I, I'll be interested to see if if I ever come back and watch this again, uh, how it how it plays out. Uh, but it, it ended up at 166 out of 351. So this is really, really interesting. It, it ends up sandwiched between these two odd sci-fi movies just above Alien Covenant. And oh, just, wow. Okay. <laughs> and just below Under the Skin, which was the Scarlett Johansson. I don't know that one. That one's... Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. But if I go out one more each, just below Alien Covenant is Lean on Pete. And, okay, interesting. And just above Under the Skin is 500 Days of Summer. Oh, wow. So okay. it's... So, it, which I think emotionally, I feel like, oh, the, you've got you've got the, the the devastation of Lean on Pete, and you've got sort of the lighter romance side of Five Hundred Days of Summer, and in between, you get The Bachelors. Okay, that's that's <laughs> that where we are. Makes sense. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so you average them out. You have a little baby. It's, uh, it's yeah. The Bachelors, which puts it at three stars for me because I I still. I have issues, but I still enjoyed it. And I think I always want to, I always want to enjoy things more than being, you know, nitpicking or resentful about, uh, you know, flaws in a film because it, it didn't totally pull me out. I did. Yes. Say, Oh, these are issues, but I can see the, the intent and purpose behind those decisions. They could have perhaps been executed better, but I know they were working in the right direction. And again, uh, maybe with a little more experience, uh, you know, craftsmanship will improve, but I know that everything was done with the right intention. So you said that gave you a three stars? Is that what you said? Yes, that gives me a three stars. So for yeah. me, for all those same reasons, it's not the half star that Flickchart said it should give it, and it's a one and a half for me. Oh my. So it's, it's, it's still, I mean, it's still really a weak film for me. But again, for all the all reasons you mentioned, like you see conceptually what they were trying to do. There are some innovative film things. Um, we haven't really talked about the acting too much either because um, we're yeah. happy with a lot of the roles. But in general, there was a lot of really kind of uh, stilted, uh, acting from some of the char- some of the characters too, so yes. I'm just giving it one and a half and a not like for me. 
You know, I can't imagine there's anybody you're going to recommend this to, uh, based no. on that. <laughs> no, we're at, we're in a we're in a pretty little rut here. We went from yes. the hostiles to Lean on Pete to uh, to the Bachelors. So I'm really excited for us to roll the dice and get uh, get something a little bit more uh, positive here. More positive, something that's more enjoyable, more positive. That, that's what I mean. More positive, okay. better review. Yeah. <laughs> Better, better review. Something we can say. Yes, we we're excited about this discovery. We want to share. Where's it with that people. Cuban fury? That's just what yeah, okay. we're talking about, right? Where's that okay. Cuban fury for? All right. Well, we'll we'll see. I'm gonna have to dig through the archives there and, and see if we've got something that's got that sure. potential. Love it. All right. Well, thank you, listeners. If you haven't already, please head over to iTunes and give us a rating and a review. It helps other film fans discover us. And if you choose to support us on Patreon, you're joining a great community of film fans, including some that are really into film as art and some that are just really into enjoying movies for the fun of it and we would love to have you join that community i want to take special thanks to pete wright for taking time out of his busy schedule to edit these episodes together for us jj it's always a pleasure thanks see you next month hondo I love the conversations that so many of our hosts have had on their shows. Steve and JJ on Trailer Rewind, Ray and Ocean on Silver Linings, even Tommy's short-lived No, No, Wait, Hear Me Out. And so many films they've discussed started out as a book, a play, or even a TV series. Well, now you can support our whole family of podcasts by using our new Originals page to buy the original source material used to inspire films covered on our shows. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these fantastic conversations. It's a wonderful way to support the show. Producing these podcasts week after week require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, try using our originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. It's your one-stop shop for Amazon and Apple links where you can buy the book, play, video game, movie, etc. upon which the movie is based. Original material for trailer rewind movies like If Beale Street Could Talk, The Goldfinch, Aniara, or The Two Faces of January. Or Silver Linings movies like Repo Men, which was based on the repossession Mambo. Plus, by using those links to buy books, Amazon and Apple show us a little bit of love, which allows you to support our family of shows with minimal effort. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals. It's a fantastic way to support the show and find a great book to read. That's right. Head over to thenextreel.com slash originals to find your next read and get started today. Get started today.